Hello. Hey. I'm Alex. I'm Val. And we are here to talk about the sixth episode of season five of The Sopranos, Sentimental Education. As always, you're in season five, so you probably know by now, but we watch Sopranos. We immediately come and we talk about it. So we have reflections on it and we try to kind of get into the symbolism what's kind of happening beneath the surface of the show so it's an interesting episode it's kind of a new team of people that are working on this episode specifically we have matt wiener who just joined this season and peter bogdanovich is directing who we've seen as kupferberg but is actually a very acclaimed director and is directing the episode and i feel like this episode has a little bit of a different feel from other episodes uh, I was kind of feeling that on the first episode that Matt Weiner wrote for the Weiner <laughs> Weiner. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's Weiner. I think it is Weiner. Yeah. Anyway, I just I had to double check myself, but on the first episode that he wrote for this season, I I kind of felt like it had it, its own feel, and I feel like now that we're in season five, the show kind of starts to occupy a different space than it has before, and I feel like we're in the later part of the series and this episode feels different and one of the things that i was reflecting on is how little tony is a part of it Mm -hmm. we barely see tony and he's always kind of a peripheral character and how he acts is always through the lens of how it relates to one of the other core members of the ensemble be it carmella or aj but it's never really about tony Tony or tony blendetto it's never really about tony soprano and that might be the first time that that happens in this show to that extent. I think you're right. I mean, we had an episode earlier this season where Carmela didn't show up. Well, now we have an episode where Tony Soprano doesn't show up. And that really pushes the show into new ground. Because that isn't really something that happens. Yeah. No, there's a lot in here. I think we have a lot to unpack. So. Yeah. Why don't we... Well, the very first scene of this episode, I feel like kind of sums up one of the arcs that happens within the episode, and that is the sound of, like, a shotgun reloading as Tony Blundetto is walking through the door. I think it's just the sound of that kind of door opening. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's conscious, and I think that they're making that sound. I think it was pretty deliberate. Val's face says otherwise right now, but it's a podcast, so you can't see faces. Um, I, I was made for this medium. <laughs> you really were. Mm-hmm. I wish I could share your faces with mm-hmm. everybody. <laughs> but no, I, I mean a I, face I, for radio. <laughs> I think that the sound effects in this show, um, like everything else, are done consciously. And I think that what happens in this episode is Tony Blundetto is drawn back to the mob. And he is kind of on the straight and narrow. And throughout the course of the episode, we see him go further, get this proposition from Kim, actually act on it, start up this business. But in the end, he ends up back in Tony's orbit. So let's talk about his arc in this episode, because he really goes through a pretty huge character transition. Yeah, he does. I guess. Because where we first get him, he is working pretty hard at the laundry, right? He's Very also hard. he's also studying yeah. for this exam. And there's a lot of talk in this episode about education, right? And he even says, like, it's like he's doing the first two years of med school by mm-hmm. himself. Um, he's got He loses his flashcards and his notes. We see yeah. him remaking his flashcards, like Vito's quizzing him. Mm-hmm. 
he's looking at them at a dinner party. We see him go and take this exam, right? Yes. And we meet, we find out that he has this partner who he met while he was in jail, right? Or like corresponded with while he was yeah. in jail, who like, you know, kind of seems like an okay partner. Like she's supportive mm -hmm. and, you know, even though she's obviously, I mean, sorry if anyone listening is this kind of person, but like <laughs> someone who would reach out to someone who's in jail and want to be their girlfriend while they're in jail, even right. though you've never met them prior to them being in jail. Right. There's something a little off about that for me. But again, if that's your life it's choice, like, like I support, I support you. Girlfriends making murder exactly, girlfriends. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, like clearly she's, you know. That's also her. But anyways, but, you know, like, things seem to be going great, right? Like mm -hmm. you said, this offer from Kim to have his own store, um, pretty great. Mm -hmm. And then things take a turn for really the worst. They do. And it's around the time where he finds that bag of money and drugs. Yeah, where he's doubly blessed, ostensibly. Yeah, I don't know what <laughs> she meant by that, like doubly blessed. Well, I mean, I think she means it pretty literally, like you get this business venture and now you found money like Yeah. You're so fortunate like you're you're being blessed, which is interesting to think about like God blessing somebody in the way that that's talked about between Carmela and Father mm -hmm. Phil in the same episode. Mm -hmm. Uh and to think about Tess perhaps. But it turns out that he's not blessed by this. It ends up drawing him into a life that is much less healthy for him. Yeah. So, like, his girlfriend says, you know, like, you should invest into the business. Yeah. And then he ends up blowing it on an ugly suit. <laughs> you didn't like it? It's terrible. <laughs> oh, okay. And ugly shoes. He had to get it to match the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that he later has to wear to do his laundry business. Um on you know that we see him then with a stripper right like buying everyone crystal and um gambling his money away basically um and then that takes him down into a darker place mm -hmm. with the store too right like yeah. he something in him cracks yeah which is interesting to reflect on him i was thinking about why that happened i mean on in a basic sense He's kind of living two lives at one time, and well, it's just not sustainable. Well, that's what I was thinking about the, the doubly blessed thing. Right. That's what I like. Yeah. That and he has twins. I don't know. Like, well, that and there one is, is so this... legitimate, and the other one is coming from this life of crime. Like, yeah. it's somebody like getting away from the cops, throws out money and drugs, and now he's getting that. So he is being drawn now in yeah. these two different directions, even though. He's supposed to be on the straight and narrow. Yeah, we see him, like, during that, like, right before he has that scene um, where he's painting and Kim arrives. Yeah. He's there with his twins, right? And he's bought them, these Game Boys. And he's tearing, he's breaking down this wall, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it made me think of back in season one where they talked about, like, building things, right? Or, like, nobody's, right. like... I forget exactly the line, but like, um, like our ancestors used to build things, and now people just like tear things down, yeah. kind of thing. Right. And he's just like knocking down this wall, and his he, he can tell his sons are kind of into that. Yeah. Like his sons are intrigued by that. Totally. Action. 
Um, and then we have, you know, the scene where... Well, but on that one, just before yeah. we move on, yeah. I mean, I thought it was interesting because there was other things about parenting in this episode, notably between Tony and AJ when AJ is still living with Tony and mm -hmm. the values that he imparts and his proclivity to violence. And it showed me that Tony Blundetto, with the sledgehammer, as he brought them in to you know, tear down these walls yeah. and hit something with a hammer. Like that was an example of his parenting yeah. and how he valued tearing something down right after he said, you know, do your homework on the floor and then lets them not do that. Yeah. Bought them a Game Boy. So we see him as a parent and what his values are and how he actually parents and what he's imparting on these children. Yeah. And there is this kind of undertone of the destructive nature of it. Well, we know like his, like the kid's mother, whatever she is, his ex or whatever it might be, um, like they say, like mom says, we need to get helmets before we ride the scooters right. that you got us, right? Yeah. So like he isn't thinking about that's good the safety of these twins. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting how I was talking about the first thing that happens in the episode, but mm -hmm. the last thing that happens in the episode is related to Tony Blundetto's storyline too, mm -hmm. and that's Tony saying it's hard doing business with strangers, which is funny because. At first, I can kind of interpret that as him saying, well, it's hard to come in and me to give you the airbag business because you're a stranger and you haven't been around. But that's clearly not what he means. It's kind of like a, it can be interpreted two ways. Mm -hmm. But with the smile on his face and everything we know, like he's happy to have him back. He wanted him back and oh, yeah. involved with the mafia the entire well, time. And, and Tony, love, Tony Soprano loves other people's sorrow. Yeah. He loves seeing other people like fucked up. Yeah. Kind of and, like that and, song at the end. And needing him. Blues is my business, and <laughs> business is good. I really wish you could see Val's face now. I just thought I would say something that made her face go nuts. Val's, Val finds the uh, the lyrics of the show sometimes a bit heavy-handed, for those of you who can't see her face. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even going to go there today, because I don't like to criticize The Sopranos, <laughs> but it is one thing that I do have a big issue with. Um. Yeah, but I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> All good. <laughs> it's just like too literal for me. I don't like. Got it. it. All okay. good. Uh, but I want to talk about the scene in between. So we find out he has four hundred dollars of the, you know, mm -hmm. approximately twelve grand left. Um, we we have him in this space where there's a koi pond and mm -hmm. fish. So I want to. There's a lot of fish imagery in this in this episode. So yeah. I want to come back to that maybe. Um. He's painting these weird lines on the walls, mm -hmm. which remind me kind of of like, um, what's the, what's it called when they're measuring your heart rate, like a heart rate monitor, I guess, but not. <laughs> but you know what I mean, like when you can see like the output, oh, and yeah. it's like the like, uh, up and down triangle lines. Yeah, up and down triangle lines. <laughs> Um, that's what that kind of reminded yeah. me of. Unfortunately, I have not done the equivalent of two years of medical yeah, school. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Um, and then for no reason, like on it, like really for no reason, he loses it on mm -hmm. Kim and he beats him up really viciously, knocks him into the koi pond. Um, I don't really know why he does. It's just like self-sabotage, self-destructiveness. Yeah. Like... Maybe it is like it's too much for him living these two lives, or yeah, um, you know he can't quite see himself as this legitimate guy that he's really trying to become, or doesn't believe in himself as much, or something. But he just loses it, um, and then I think it's interesting how he hurts his back 
mm. right? As a masseuse, right? For me, that's mm. kind of like, um, like even that's not really going to be like, it's not even like, oh, this store is not going to work out, but he's still going to go on and be a masseuse right. somewhere else. Yeah. Like, there's no way. Uh, there's no way. And yeah, so I don't know, like, why do you, and, the, well, and, and there's also a like, fish flopping on the ground to go back to fish. Yeah, but. totally. Well, even like that those kind of poles of restorative medicine and destruction. Yeah. The kind of polarity of those two things that yeah. are constantly existing in Sopranos and the fact that he goes from one to the other. Yeah. Like chasing, helping people and restoring their bodies to damaging people's bodies and attacking Kim kind of represents how he moves from this honest career path to the not honest mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. One thing that I found really interesting in this episode is how that space when they first go there is a travel agency and Tony Blundetto is there with Tony Soprano and there's tons of posters on the wall showing places like India, Hawaii. There's all these foreign places that are just so out of the kind of spheres of life that surround Tony Soprano and all the people of the Soprano family and the Mm -hmm. mob family. Um, Those realms are just so foreign, so distant. And I think that what Tony Blundetto is doing is so foreign and so distant. And while they're in that space, it really kind of shows how they're they're very far away from everything that we've experienced as a part of the mob family. Yeah. And they tear down that travel agency and it kind of eventually turns into this into this violent thing with the koi, the fish flopping around, dying. Um but it is it is really interesting to see Tony in that space because he just really doesn't fit in. And for me, seeing all those distant places just hammers that home even more. Yeah, there's something about all those wires that are hanging down too, like makes it kind of like jungle-like or something like mm-hmm. that. There is something, I don't know, it's a really interesting choice mm-hmm. they made. Yeah. I don't know what would make all those wires hang down, <laughs> you know, like what happened there. Right. Um, I don't know. But yeah, there's an interesting relationship between Tony Blundetto and Christopher in this episode too. Um, maybe in part because of what Christopher's gone through as someone who went through rehab. Mm-hmm. Tony Blundetto, somebody who went through prison. Interestingly, they reference the uh, experience of an ex-convict to the experience of an immigrant. Well, there's also kind of this relationship to Christopher as an ex-addict. Yeah, um, there's like Chris like putting his arm around Tony Blundetto. Um, He's kind of supportive. He's supportive of him going through these two years of medical school. He kind of, like, understands Not the, medical school, but... Not of not medical school, of, like, medical school. <laughs> but the commitment and the work ethic, there's something there that yeah. he kind of gets. There's a line, too, where he talks about how, like, some someone says that Kim sees something more mm-hmm. in Tony B. And then it kind of flashes to Chris, who, like, that's how he kind of, like, he feels like that with Tony. Like, the, right. like... Tony sees something in him right. more than what other people see, right? And right. so, like, sometimes it takes that chance for people to make something of themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. But it also shows the connections between the two of them, how they both kind of, like, self-sabotage and totally. destroy the good things that they have right. in their lives, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we see, like, his gr- girlfriend yelling at him by the end, too. She's so sick of his gambling. It's kind of like Adriana, right? Like. Mm-hmm being so sick of his drugs and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so. totally. 
Uh, it was also interesting seeing, like, the other members of the family talking about his relationship with Kim, as Tony refers to it in the end, doing business with strangers. Mm-hmm. But, like, Polly saying, remember Pearl Harbor, <laughs> which is so preposterous considering yeah. he's Korean. But, again, it just shows, like, how out of the kind of normal zone of the of the mob they are at that point. Like, that Polly doesn't even know the difference between... <laughs> Koreans and Japanese. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nor would we expect him to. No. I'm surprised he didn't make some other reference. Yeah. <laughs> really. But it's just such like a a small scale frame of reference that comes from New Jersey. That's really all yeah. these people have experienced. But yeah, no, I still don't, yeah, I still can't quite wrap my head around why he would do that to Kim, like why he would react that way. Yeah, I mean, he is in some parts, I think, just, like, kind of falling apart because he's, you know, staying up all night. He's, uh, you know, been hurting himself. He's, like, sleeping for two hours and other nights not sleeping at all, just kind of showing up. So I think it's just he's just kind of falling apart and taking it out on Kim because it's difficult and he's drawn back to. Yeah. I don't deny, though, that there's probably more to that. I mean, I think that's the very kind of, like, surface read on it. But Mm -hmm. psychologically, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting thing to think about, about why he would kind of snap. Yeah. Um, I think the self-sabotaging is definitely part of it. And I think that that double blessing is is relevant. And it's interesting that ultimately it is that gift, quote-unquote gift, of money and drugs Mm -hmm. that eventually draws him back into that life yeah it's like easy money right yeah as opposed to work him working hard and kim he was offered two paths and he makes a choice right it's really fascinating actually so when he gets that easy money it lulls him back in yeah but with kim he's offering something very different it's like a religion to these people this yeah you know this small business yeah enterprising kind of attitude so ultimately when he's given something easy it forces him back to being a monster yeah it was interesting. I was trying to make sense of their, like, it was kind of a, I don't know, like, he, like, kind of misspoke. But earlier in the episode, Kim talks about, like, if you mess up one more time, like, I'll show you the window. Right. And there is something, like, I don't know, uh, like, thinking about these escapes, like, thinking about, like, what, like, opening a window for someone, like, kind of, like, giving them, um, I don't know, like giving them this little, like there's this little window of time where Tony Blendetto could have done something different. Definitely. You know, and I think we, we face that with all of our characters too, right? Like there there's these little like fleeting moments where it's like they could have made a different choice here and gone a different direction. Yeah. The difference is that Tony Blendetto actually does make different choices. He goes so much further down the road than pretty much mm-hmm. anybody else ever has. Mm-hmm. And up until this point, these are the only reflections we have on him. He actually is different than everybody else because he actually does assert himself as an honest person, hardworking yeah. person. Yeah. Now it's starting to change, but I mean, he's been he's had a lot more integrity than anybody else we've really seen yeah. from people of his position. Oh well, that's over now. Oh well, <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> uh, I also want to talk about Carmela. Well, yeah, that's huge in this episode. So, the one thing before we switch, switch because okay. that's so yes. major, and I think that really is kind of the focal point yes, of this yes, episode, yes. is thinking about Kim also kind of as a father, because there's a lot of examples yes. of these kind of father relationships, even comparing that to that kind of like tough love showing him the window, also to like AJ and Tony, um, Tony kind of trying to show 
tough love, I guess, but just kind of falling into violence and, and taking some of the parenting that he would have received from Johnny and Livia and now showing that to the next generation and showing how hopeless this whole cycle kind of is. It's really interesting, too, how, like, you start to... There are some things that happen in this episode that reflect how AJ has some of the same attitudes as Tony and those have been passed mm-hmm. on, like calling Wegler gay. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're threatened. They have no understanding mm-hmm. of this person. And Wegler, and I, I was kind of thinking this is a segue into the whole Carmela Wegler storyline, but Wegler represents this intellectual kind of guy that also occupies such a different space than everybody from the mm-hmm. New Jersey family mm-hmm. that is threatening and they have no understanding of it. It's almost like these faraway places, right, in the travel agency. Yep. And they just kind of call it gay. They don't get it. And obviously, they're wrong. He's not gay. He's super straight. Yeah. Turns out he's banging AJ's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. Um, yeah. So, I don't really know where to start with that. But, yeah. So, we have AJ return home, right? So, like, Tony kind of has this failure of parenting. He, mm-hmm. The parenting skills that he has are violence and issuing threats yeah and giving rewards and for giving no pizza. reason <laughs> pizza like that's all like that's his toolbox he doesn't mm-hmm. have really anything else to offer yeah. there so you know I, I was always surprised like Carmela wasn't more mad about or like wasn't harder on not having AJ come back yeah like kind of just making them both live with that but yeah. I guess she is his mom so right um, and she want and she's worried about his school success clearly because mm-hmm. it interrupts her sex life a lot in this episode also. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, AJ is also compared to Fredo Corleone. He is in this know. episode by his teacher Fisk. Fisk, who also says Tom. that the world needs ditch diggers. Tom Fisk. <laughs> Which is interesting because that. Um, that time where Wegler actually goes and confronts Fisk is only after Karm pushes again against Wegler about what's happening with Fisk. Mm-hmm. So there is this kind of direct line from Carmela and her words and her desires to actually using Wegler to go against Fisk and get something for AJ. She does kind of like weaponize her sexuality to get something that she wants. Um, interestingly, in the very beginning of the episode two with Fisk, we have Carmela talking about Fisk's bias against Italians immediately. Yes. Like she goes that road about the Fredo Corleone. So it is complicated because Fisk does actually reference that. Yeah. It is so simple for Carmela to immediately blame this on the Italian American stereotype. Yeah. It's so simplistic in the end for her to say, uh, what was it? I was married to Tony. My motives will yeah, always be, always called, into be question. called into question. Hugh yeah. then just says, well, and then there's an edit, and then it cuts away. So it is overly simplistic because Carmela actually was called out in some ways for something that I think, I believe she actually was, a user. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet her reflection and her takeaway is, is very black was, and white. It was bias. It was bias it's against It's the same thing as she was doing in the beginning yeah. of the episode. So there are these kind of things that are introduced at the beginning of the episode and don't change by the end. But Carmela, yeah, it's very simple to say they're biased against Italians. They're biased against Mm -hmm. my husband. That's why Mm -hmm. this bad stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. There's no personal accountability. There's no kind of reasoning with what you've done, you know, how you've behaved and how perhaps your actions have impacted other people. Yeah. So... It's interesting because clearly the problem is that AJ sucks at school, has never worked, 
Yeah. There's even other things, you know, Carmela saying, he never cheated, you know, like, this is new. He all, At least he always tried. And then very quickly, Wegler's like, well, he did. Didn't, what about verb of day? She's like, oh, well, that's different. He was just acting out. So, I mean, even, even Wegler, who's just come into the scene, he even knows that that's preposterous. Yeah. There's been a steady decline for AJ where he has been cheating. Yeah. He's he been brought up by, you know, somebody who profits off of the misfortune of others. Mm-hmm. We even have, interestingly, Carmela in this episode, an examination of her as a character who is cheating on her mm. on her husband in this relationship mm. as Catholics who are married and that's an issue for them. Mm. But I think based on the value system that the Sopranos have imparted on their children – you know, it's hard to believe that AJ would be able to avoid that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, like definitely we have a lot called into question here with this relationship between her and Wegler. And I think like I'm on, you know, more of the side of what you were saying, which is like, I think that she did know what she was doing. I don't know if like yeah. outward, like consciously necessarily i think she she represses the implications of it but i think she definitely knew what she was you know like and we've seen her manipulate to get her way before you know she even basically admits it how is asking people you love for help using and wegler kind of looks around and he's like what the fuck yeah Yeah, that's what people do it's like well no that's not what people do can't you just have relationships with people and care for them and not ask them to do things for you. That's a very transactional yeah. relationship with people. I mean, the relationship is really kind of ethically questionable to begin with, very. right? Like, um, for both. Yeah. Like, and I don't... It turns I, out that Wegler really is a dick. I don't <laughs> when know. all is said and done. Is he? I think so. I think that, like, we are kind of... He's no Noah Tenenbaum. Yeah, but in the end, he was saying, like, to Carmelo, like, oh, you know, like, you left me with a heart on, like, when she left. Yeah. It's just like... Dude. I know. Well, he, like, he had his own motivations. <laughs> I guess, right. But, I you mean, know. I feel like he's manipulative, too. Like, he's even using these books as manipulation to get Carmela to sleep with him. Totally. You know, like, with Madame Bovary, and she's handing her the book and talking about the, the undertones. And, oh, it's boring on the surface. But as he, like, leans in, it's... He's using his own domain yeah. of... Madame Bovary, she says that nothing really happens and there's too many words. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Carmela. You're great. Yeah. I don't think Carmela would like this podcast. <laughs> um, maybe she would. No, like, so yeah, like the ethical, it's ethically questionable. Like there's, like we're more exposed to Carmela's reasons for being in this relationship. But like, why is Wegler? I think he's like looking for something exciting. Um, I think he also just likes Carmela, you know, and he's attracted to her. Yeah. There's something, I don't know, there's something more to it. Like, he could have picked, like, first of all, like, to pick a mom of a student, like, a a student that you're dealing with pretty closely, probably Mm -hmm. not the best idea. And I think he does kind of like the danger aspect of it, too, you know? Um, But he really is in it for this, like, sexual aspect i don't think he's really super in it for anything else um so like yeah he was a dick at the end when he was like even before though even in that same scene he's saying like oh you're a virgin it's my lucky night it's like it was a joke like she was like i haven't been with anybody (laughs) right i guess yeah, it's I, don't weird. I don't know. I know he's not—he's not the worst character for me. <laughs> no, I mean in the context um, of the Sopranos, he's probably the best dude we've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like you know, 
he, I don't know, they both have something. It's, it's questionable for both of them, like I was saying. He and Father Phil are kind of put in comparison they to each other. They absolutely are. In this. In fact, even edited from one to the other. Edited, Carmella, Carmella does herself saying up. that they remind each other, remind her Carmella's of doing her hair and like dressing up very specifically for her meetings with both Wegler and with Father Phil. Yeah. Going out for dinner with both of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, she's also not completely honest with Father, like even though she's honest with him about other things, like she purposely goes out for this dinner with him to kind of like catch him up on this. Like, I don't yeah. know why she really. I think I there's have... a power control. Like there's a yeah. power dynamic thing of like her being able to hold something over Father Phil because she has been sexually active with somebody and yeah. they didn't have that. Like, and why, are you, why weird... are you going to tell your priest? I don't know. Um, but like, no, she, it's, like weird. it's like she clearly like really wanted to tell him. But then she's like, oh, we are working on a project together. Oh, actually, he reminds me of you. Yeah. Um, I thought he was gay. I thought he was gay, um, but he's intellectual, right? And um, and they are both kind of, like, they both, their motivations for being with Carmela are both questionable also, yeah. right? Like, kind of like I was totally. saying, like, the and we've talked about Father Phil before and his kind of right. moral and ethical yeah. issues, yeah. right? But they both are attracted to her. Um, and she's able to manipulate them both right. pretty well to still get the things that she wants. Okay, so here's something interesting yeah. that you're actually just making me think about. It seems like there's kind of two masculine prototypes that Carmela is attracted to throughout the course of the show. Yeah. One is this kind of like rugged, masculine, Furio, Vic Musto type. Mm -hmm. The other, who's like kind of maybe has a European sensibility, is in touch with his feelings, but very kind of strong mm -hmm. and... The other kind is this person who comes from, I guess, like more of a intellectual, intellectual kind of. background, a more intellectually stimulating kind of mm -hmm. area, mm -hmm. but at the same time has this kind of ethically questionable connection to her life, mm -hmm. which is really interesting because of when you think about all the ethical complexity that surrounds The Sopranos, it's interesting that she's attracted to these people where there is a question of ethics to be involved with them. Yeah. In fact, actually... You know, I take it back. They Everybody has that. Yeah. And maybe that's, I mean, Furio has that. Vic Musto has that. What was Vic Musto's issue? Well, actually, you're I right. I think he was Less pretty so. clean. Yeah. He was related, though, to, he was a, he was a relative. Anyway, but it, it was of a. That's weird. Yeah. No, no, not her relative. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, that was about as clean as it got for her. Um but it is it is really interesting to think about her being drawn to people in these situations where there is kind of like an ethical question of of how that could or yeah. should work. Well, it's interesting, like um, her feelings that go like that she goes through with having this relationship. Because on the one hand, she is kind of like proud of it, and obviously like very happy, and she's like daydreaming about mm -hmm. it, and she's talking about her sex life, and you know, like she's you know, feels good. She smiles at herself in, in the, the mirror, mirror, right? Um, Which is fast. I mean, you almost never see that in this show. Think about just recently Tony looking at himself in the mirror, a very isolating shot yeah. from a distance, him and his boxers. He's overweight. He's looking at himself. People are typically sad or reflective or realizing that something needs to change in their life because they hit a crisis point. Carmela is actually happy. 
Yeah, and I don't know if it's like, I, like again, like I don't know how conscious she is of like, if it's just like the physicality and the romantic attention, or if it is this kind of like getting what she wants out of someone on a deeper level. Or both. Or both. But it's interesting, like that Father Phil kind of says, like you know, like they have that conversation, like why would God bring him into my life? And he was like that sin talking and like, like is it God that put him there or is right. it someone else? Right. Like, right. so there is kind of this like, like, um, yeah, like it, it is again, like it's just questionable, like whether she's being driven by kind of like the good, mm-hmm. um, the good things or by these kind of like underhanded or manipulative things. Right. Um, and then there, like, there's the fact that, um, you know, then she goes later on in the episode, right? She goes to confession and she talks about her feelings of, of passion, right? But he he's like, I need to absolve you. I can't absolve you of a sin that you're going to continue to commit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like about being there, being for, with someone beyond the here and now. And it relates to that Abelard and Heloise right. book, I think, too, which is like an interesting combination. Like it's this religious slash intellectual... Yeah book and like one of them's a scholar and then yeah. becomes a monk or whatever it is i have not read it so i'm, I'm just speaking from what i learned today <laughs> the Sopranos. um that one was a student and one was kind of like a teacher and they had this timeless romance through yeah. letters right, right. Like this thing went on um she weirdly refers to heloise as eloise which right. i don't know how that's connected back <laughs> into the eloise stuff but um but there is this kind of like combination of those two characters that I think shows kind of Carmela's mm-hmm. two sides of something. Yeah. Um, or at least like two sides of herself. And I think it goes back into what you were saying about these kind of like two types that she has that she's yeah. attracted to. Like there, there is this, like she is kind of caught between, um, you know, what's right and what's, I don't know. I, I don't like to say right, but like it's like from what perspective is yeah. she looking at it, and how can she judge it based yeah. on these certain perspectives? Yeah. So like religion might view something as wrong, whereas intellectually it is logical. Right. right? Totally. I found that confession scene really fascinating, even just the way that the scene was presented, like the red light on Phil, similar Mm -hmm. to what we were talking about in the last episode, the use of red light on Tony, Mm -hmm. the use of red light in Miami and calling all cars, like a lot of that um, kind of filter when we're seeing something through it or that kind of lighting on characters is typically indicative of something in this show. And it, it kind of complicates the advice that we're getting from Father Phil, as I think his advice Mm -hmm. often is like his advice often isn't leading people in the best direction isn't actually connecting people to that kind of like greater spiritual plane isn't actually connecting people with the eternal even though it sells itself as doing that yeah it's not actually that helpful it's interesting too that carmela talks about feeling like maria in west side story that father phil says well from what i recall abelard and heloise ends badly and as we know, West Side Story obviously ends badly for Maria, too. Yeah. So at this point in the episode, even if I hadn't seen it before, I'm getting the feeling that this isn't going to lead somewhere good. Right. And knowing about Carmela and Tony Soprano, one has to assume that even if it didn't end the way it did, it would probably end worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably more like West Side Story with rival gangs. Yeah. And- you know, a lot of people dying. Yeah. Well, it's weird when she, like, brings the gun to bed. 
that is an interesting right? scene. And it makes me wonder why she's doing it because she keeps on looking yeah. at that picture of Tony out fishing with AJ yeah. with I a big smiling face. Yeah. So but what I was thinking is like, is she getting the con the 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 con <laughs> the gun? <laughs> is she getting it um to kind of protect herself from Tony? I know. Is she getting it to replace Tony as a protector? When yeah. she's looking at it, what is she interpreting from the picture that she wants a gun there well, for? Well, and she, like, it's immediately after, like, she goes from being in Wegler's bed. Yeah. And they've had sex. And she goes home and she sneaks into her house. And then she sees the picture and she sees Tony. And then she brings this gun to bed with her and puts it beside her. So I just feel like it is. It's like that there's something missing yeah. beside her. I yeah. don't know. I, yeah, the big question for me is... Is she worried about Tony or is she worried about not having Tony? Mm-hmm. That was the question mm-hmm. that I posed. Yeah, I know. Really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I find was like focused a lot for her. Well, we, we see a lot of like Carmela's chest in this episode. Mm-hmm. But we also, because of that, we see how she always keeps her jewelry on even when she's really naked. She didn't have her wedding ring on, but she does. She did have like 800 necklaces <laughs> on. Um and other jewelry as well. So I, I find that interesting, too. Like, those were clearly given to her by Tony. Right. right. She doesn't have this yeah. jewelry from other people, nor right. is she, like, going out and buying jewelry, I don't think. So that there was, like, I don't know. La- later on, like, she's called, like, well, she calls him, she calls Wegler a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. But I think, like, you know, she's really the one who's a wolf yeah. in, in sheep's clothing. I agree. And she's putting herself, like, she spends a lot of time how she dresses, right? Like, to present herself in this certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, But even when, like, she's, like, you know, ostensibly, like, takes off her costume, right? Like, makes herself the most. She's still um, asking about AJ when they're having. Yeah, like, they're like, yeah. So, like, she still has that on. Yeah. I guess that's wolf's clothing. I'm not sure. But, (laughs) you know, somewhere along that metaphor. Right. Yeah, no, Being absolutely. a wolf or being a sheep, I'm not yeah. sure. I thought it was interesting, too, while they're lying on the ground, she talks about thinking about painting the ceiling blue. Mm-hmm. And it's like sticking a hand in the Caribbean, which really related to the travel agency for me in these faraway mm-hmm. places. And blue being a color that we've talked about that's very distant from the black and white world of the mob. Mm-hmm. We've seen people wear all blue before in moments of kind of trying to differentiate themselves or distance themselves from the New Jersey lifestyle. Um, but it, yeah, it did make me think, especially with the sticking hand in the Caribbean, like what could be more distant from New Jersey than that? It is one of these foreign zones that she's trying to access in some ways through being with Wegler. Yeah. There was another one, even when she was talking about Carmela, the symbolism of Piggy's glasses as representing intellectualism. Right. There's just all these things that are so foreign to any of the characters that we've dealt with. Yeah. Thinking about metaphors, discussing them outright, talking about foreign places, there really yeah. is this yearning to be in a different kind of lifestyle. But yeah. ultimately, it just doesn't work, and everything ends up where it started. So yeah. It's pretty nice. <laughs> the other part I thought was interesting was, like, in the scene, I think it is where the, she's talk- where she's talking about the Caribbean, I think, or perhaps the one before that, um, where she's talking about AJ's paper, and then she's, like, she, you know, she's not really feeling it. She's not really getting it. Oh, so it's before, it's before the Caribbean line. But... Um, 
she talks about she's like I I can't do this like right. I, in in the eyes of the church I'm still married yeah. I'm a bad mother and then she walks out into the rain mm-hmm. and you know I think like that's what, when you were talking about the Caribbean that is also what reminded me of of that is kind of like this water symbolism that we've seen this like desire for purity right even her like going to church for confession and yeah, stuff like that ablution. for ablution <laughs> um she like she feels righteous by doing that kind of thing right but she's also kind of like tony blendetta like she's drawn back in based on getting something you know getting something from her efforts kind of thing right like she like finds out that aj gets a okay grade on his paper see i feel like her going out into the rain though leaving wegler's house is like her going out into the storm that she was protected from Mm. by being with him Mm. like she's returning to that more storm-like world Mm. around the sopranos like she's she's leaving that safe haven of being with somebody like that yeah i don't know yeah there's an aspect i i I can get that i just do think like there was like a lot of water symbolism in this right so like like those two we just mentioned, all the fish, right? Like we have even like Fisk being referred to as a cold fish. We mm-hmm. have this koi pond. Um, we have, there was another one I wrote down somewhere, but I can't find it. Mm-hmm. So one of the dishes, I forget, something about food and okay. fish. Um, so we have all this kind of like water symbolism yeah, going on too. And so I just think like, like we've seen other and and even like the sweat on their bodies mm-hmm. like when they're i don't know like there's just something about that i can't quite put my finger on it but like going out into the rain like kind of like choosing this righteous path or hmm. feeling like she's like because she's like in the eyes of the church we're still married and she right. like walks in right. this rain i don't know yeah um it's such a weird relationship like you know her constantly pushing about AJ like right after they have sex and him saying well all of our students matriculate like it's just like it's a very strange yeah. dynamic it, oh sorry I, I remember yeah. the, the Tony Fish picture Tony oh Fish right yeah picture. of course of yeah. course yeah sorry um, it's just it's so strange even outside of the obvious ethical questionability of a uh, counselor getting with one of his students mothers Moms. Yeah. It's pretty it's pretty weird. There's another great scene actually just in terms of symbolism when Tony walks into the house, Carmela's, I think she's like she's like, like handling that cucumber. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like in the window, the light is kind of like glowing over her. Mm-hmm. Tony walks in, stops He's super there. Dark. He's completely in the shadows. Yeah. And they show him completely in the shadows and her completely in the light. So I can't think of something really any stronger about and then symbolizing there's some amazing, the kind of and then there's some amazing that acting that happens. Oh man, if you guys want a good time, find yeah, that they, scene. They must have reshot that. Yeah, in the episode, yeah. watch it and just watch Edie Falco's face because yeah. I don't know what was happening on that take, but it, it I, I <laughs> it's a good one. I don't think it was the best one. No. Yeah. <laughs> and she's the best actor ever, but that take, that's not her fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess like, yeah, just with that, like I think like the scene where... He says, like, where Wegler says outright to her, like, I think you're a user, Carmela. Yeah. Um, you know, and they have this kind of back and forth where he's like, you're using your pussy as a weapon. Which he didn't have to say that. I, he didn't have to say it like that. It was weird. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, she uses, like, his education mm-hmm. as a weapon, too. Like, well, I don't have Definitely. a master's degree. Right. 
Um, and then she leaves them with a watch your step, which again, like just shows me how, you know, um, she like she is being manipulative and she yeah. is like that's that's who she is right right like she's the wolf in sheep's clothing totally. Absolutely. she's the one who comes across and as this like you know friendly mom yeah and she's not no you know she, i mean she like it's not like you know she wants the best for aj like etc cetera, etc cetera. it's all fine but yeah yeah um, and if we think about like the family that she is a part of, like her and Tony as parents, like that scene where AJ is at home with Tony, and like that violence is set off over, um, like Tony says, like, "Oh, you're just perfecting that pissy look on your face," and then AJ says, "Well, if I just came home drunk, then I'd be like you," yeah. and that's what kind of like so- yeah sounds sh- like you is the catalyst for violence. So I just think about like again, like that line of generations and like how these children are learning from their parents and how violence is now incorporated and and passed down and looking pissy and probably alcoholism. And then thinking about who Carmela is as a mother and like she has this this part of her that actually really is very wolf-like. And that watch your step does kind of embody more where she kind of comes from as a person at this point and who she is as a character than a nice mom. Yeah, well, and even her own dad, you know, is, like, yeah. that line where he's, like, well, you right. know. <laughs> like, um, That's really all there is to say. You know. Well. 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 I like this episode. Me too. I thought it was an amazing episode. Um, I like Matt Wiener joining the team. I think he does a great job. Yeah. Kind of makes me want to watch Mad Men again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. If, yeah. It's very tiring. <laughs> it's a whole world. Yeah, we're going to finish The Sopranos, and then we're going to take a long break. <laughs> Before we start our Mad Men podcast. Um, I don't know. For me, you know what? Uh, Matt Wiener, like... <laughs> he can... <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, great Sopranos episodes. Yeah. But, great Sopranos episodes. You know, and when you go out on your own, it's hard. Sometimes. I'm a fan. <laughs> I mean, just like, like, I'm not the biggest fan of Boardwalk Empire either. Well, neither am I. You know? And, and some great people from The Sopranos went there, too. There's yeah. something very magical about The Sopranos. There's something very magical. And there was a combination of a lot of amazing Totally. It's, there, and but, it's really interesting, yeah, yeah, to think about how all these people came together and what they had when David Chase was directing them. It's really something. And sometimes you can see what they brought to Sopranos, but what they lack when they go out on their own. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yep. But great episode. Thank you for We're listening. almost like halfway through this season. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate you listening. Totally. And we'll be back soon with episode seven. And then we'll be back with episode eight. <laughs> <laughs> bye. And another and another and another. <laughs> okay, bye. Okay. Thanks for listening.